0: Hey, I'm Elizabeth Willits and I'm obsessed with helping as many women as possible achieve their boldest dreams after kids and helping you to navigate this messy and magical season of life. I'm a working mum with over 17 years of recruitment experience and I'm the founder of the Investing in Women Job Board and Community. In this show, I'm honoured to be chatting with remarkable women, redefining our working world across all areas of business. They'll share their secrets on how they've achieved extraordinary success after children, set boundaries and balance, the challenges they've faced and how they've overcome them to define their own versions of success. Shy away from the real talk? No way. Money, struggles, growth, loss, boundaries and balance. We cover it all. Think of this as coffee with your mates mixed with an inspiring TED Talk with the career advice you wish you'd really had at school so grab a cup of coffee or a glass of wine make sure you're cozy and get ready to get inspired and chase your boldest dreams or just survive mondays this is the work it like a Mum podcast This episode is brought to you by Investing in Women. Investing in Women is a job board and recruitment agency helping you find your dream part-time or flexible job with the UK's most family-friendly and forward-thinking employers. Their site can help you find a professional and rewarding job that works for you. They're proud to partner with the UK's most family-friendly employers across a range of professional industries. Ready to find your perfect job? Search their website at investinginwomen.co.uk to find your next part-time or flexible job opportunity. Now, back to the show. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of the Work It Like A Mum podcast, which is a treasure trove of insights and experiences from a remarkable individual, Nikki Lowe, who is the visionary behind Illuminate Development and Wisdom for Working Mums. She has been in business now for almost two decades, which is crazy. So we're going to have a real chat about how her business has transformed During that time, both personally and professionally, she has an array of experiences and learnings um, from confronting and overcoming burnout to her collaborative adventures like Global Leadership Wellbeing Solutions Team. Nikki is here to enlighten us on how professionals, especially working mothers, can redefine success and well-being in today's fast-paced world. Thank you. Thank you so much for coming and chatting with me today.
1: Oh, no, I'm really excited to have this conversation. I love your podcast. So it's uh, you know, an honour to be on it.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I'm just so excited to, to chat with you because you've done some phenomenal stuff. And we, I've been on, recorded also now on your podcast. It's not released yet as we're recording it. And you've like just listening to you, you've transformed my business. So I was like, my gosh, you're so good. You've done all this at like the other. And I was like picking all the amazing stuff you've done. So I know you're so generous with your knowledge and your experience. And she's made, you know, Nikki's, you've done such brilliant stuff with your business. And to be in business for that long, is just what an achievement.
1: Yeah. And a ride, one hell of a ride. And I'll share some of those insights with you. Yeah.
0: Have you ever intended to go back to the employed world during that time?
1: No. And I do actually, I do often kind of reflect on that. And I was working last week, I was delivering, I was facilitating a two-day workshop for a client. And the leader came into the room and she said to me, she said, Oh, she said, I'd love to have you on my team. And I, I had this reflection of what would it take for me to go back and, and join a team? I actually think I'm unemployable now. I think I'm so used to being my own boss. I don't know if I could work for somebody else, but I do love being in a corporate environment, but I, I like the fact that I'm not employed in a corporate environment that I have the autonomy of running my own business.
0: Yeah. Why, you know, a lot of people say they're unemployable. Why do you think you're unemployable in that sense?
1: I think there's two things. I think there's something about my personality and preferences around, I like to have the freedom to make the decisions and have I have a high degree of personal power, which means, which can be a really good and bad thing in like, actually, I feel really empowered to do stuff. And I think if I'm constrained by somebody else making decisions that can impact me, but it also means that I take a really high degree of responsibility. And what I found in a corporate environment was I was constantly trying to Please and perform and perfect. And that can be unhealthy for me. Where when I'm the boss, I can kind of go, do you know what? Take the day off. You've worked really hard this week. Where in a in a corporate environment, if I was employed, I even though logically I know that I may have worked more hours than I was contracted to, I would still struggle to do that. So I think the freedom of my own mindset, being kind of my own boss is really important for me.
0: Yeah. Absolutely. Because you must have been very young when you started your business. Did you ever, were you ever employed?
1: Yeah. So I started off my life when I left university, I joined a tech company. So I worked for a big Silicon Valley uh, tech company here in the UK and got promoted really quickly to become a global account director. So I was effectively selling high end IT systems to big global organisations and found myself being promoted and kept doing the whole they're going to find out I haven't got a clue what I'm doing. And I, at the time, didn't recognize what my success was built on because I wouldn't say I was the best salesperson. I wasn't really interested in the technology. What I was really good at but didn't put enough value on it at the time was really good at building the client relationships and really wanting to understand my clients' businesses and work out how I can best support them. So I'd got that, I suppose, good emotional intelligence around that, but I didn't. I just thought everybody had that and didn't really value it. So I kept working harder, longer, and faster to really prove to myself that I was, because I ended up being on this massive salary with all these benefits. And I, you know, the classic people talk about the imposter syndrome, but I really had it back then of, I really didn't feel that I was in the right job. I loved the organization, loved the people, but I wasn't really in the right role that played to to my personality and preferences at the time but didn't know what I wanted to do. And so I was kind of on this crazy ride. It was in a very male dominated environment. I was one of the very few female salespeople. And so I kind of just kept working harder going, if I put more effort in, it'll get easier. And it never did. And what I, looking back, I didn't realize it at the time, but I was definitely on the path to burnout and knew that I wanted to get out, but as I say, didn't know what I wanted to do. Couldn't work out what would pay me that kind of salary because I'd started to build a life around that big kind of corporate salary. We'd bought a big house in the country that we were renovating and yeah, just built this lifestyle around it. And I thought, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to go and hire an occupational psychologist. They can analyze me, tell me what I'm good at and I'll figure this out. I did that. And it didn't really help. And then one day I was on a training course with work. I was managing cross-cultural teams, so global teams, and we did, um, it was a, a course on how to manage cross-cultural virtual teams. And on this, I think it was a two-day workshop. They did one hour on coaching, and I just sat there and went, Oh my God, like this, I don't know, kind of epiphany moment. I realized that had been my leadership style because I was managing people twice my age, twice my experience. I couldn't tell them what to do. I naturally had used quite a coaching style of leadership. And what I now know is that's kind of who I am as well. And it set me off on this kind of journey if I wanted to learn more. So I went off and did a an online course and then I signed up for a weekend course and started plotting this, I suppose, passion. And I I went and hired my own executive coach and she's She's still a really good friend. She's a phenomenal woman. And that was a really pivotal moment for me because I worked out what my values were and how I wasn't living in alignment with them. all the great stuff that kind of coaching does. And I realized that I wanted to leave and retrain as an exec coach. And I remember my coach kind of going, okay, you know it, do it. And I was like, no, I need a two year exit strategy. I need to save the money. I need to kind of plot my exit out. And she pushed hard on me and challenged me on that. I was like, why, why are you putting these barriers? And I was like, came up with all the logical reasons. And me and my, he's now my husband at the time, he was he was my boyfriend. We, I realised that I was kind of, I needed to have a really good holiday because I could feel the impact of being in an environment that wasn't suited to me. And we booked a two-week holiday to the Maldives. And we were a week into that two-week holiday and I got a call to say, my mum had died really suddenly, really unexpectedly. And it was 24 hours before we could get a flight home. So I was sat in paradise, kind of just this moment of, what am I doing? What am I doing with my life? What is this all about? And I made the decision there and then to just go back and hand my notice in. So I handed my notice in without a plan. I hadn't kind of put the plan in place and I effectively took a year out to retrain and launch. So I retrained as an exec coach and launched my business in, that was in 2005 and I launched it in 2006 and yeah, and that kind of was the catalyst for it all really.
0: Amazing. Hello to all our listeners. This is Elizabeth Willits, your host of the Work It Like a Mum podcast and founder of the Investing in Women job board and recruitment site. I'm here today to tell you all about our transformative career coaching services. Whether you're returning to work, climbing the corporate ladder or seeking a complete career change, our coaching is designed for anyone aspiring to make a significant impact in their professional life, We offer personalised guidance on crafting standout CVs that tell your unique story, effective strategies for nailing your next job interview, and expert tips on optimising your LinkedIn profile to attract the right opportunities. And here's the best part. As a valued listener, you'll get an exclusive 10% discount. Just use the code Mum" when you book your session. Visit us at investinginwomen.co.uk forward slash career coaching services to start your journey towards career success. Let's work together to achieve your professional dreams with the Investing in Women Career Coaching Services. Well story? So when you first launched your business, you were coaching. Is that coaching like leaders and senior managers? Well, it's
1: really interesting because when I first set up, I was really disillusioned with the corporate world because I'd seen it that it had taken me off course in my life. I hadn't spent enough time with my loved ones and obviously I'd lost my mum, and I was kind of in that grieving process. And as part of that, I'd kind of made the corporate world the enemy. So I was like, I don't want to do anything with the corporate world. I want to be a life coach. I just want to coach kind of individuals and started my business. And I would take like really quickly within the first couple of months, I was like, oh no, I'm not sure these are the people that I want to coach. And by chance, I won a contract to deliver some coaching, exec coaching and training for a financial services company. And when I was doing that, I was like, oh no, this is where I'm meant to be. And it was that realization that, oh, I can be in a corporate environment, but not be employed in it. And that felt really good. And so that was the direction the business then took. And then to begin with, I thought I was going to just do direct work with organizations. And on that journey, I got taken on to be an associate for some bigger consultancy companies. So built kind of direct clients and was doing executive leadership development consultancy as well. And so It got to the point just before I had my first child that was literally going around the world doing it. So I was working for some global consultancy companies and we they'd win big global projects. I would be the European element of it and I'd have um, colleagues from the US and colleagues from the Middle East and we would come together on these global programs. And yeah, I was traveling around the world. So kind of built the business up to that point and then got married and decided we wanted to start a family. and then had to reassess then what I did with the business.
0: So when you are coaching all these individuals in corporate, and you mentioned you had imposter syndrome in your old role, did you have imposter syndrome? I mean, were you coaching people that were a lot older than you, you know, that maybe had more experience? It's
1: interesting because I've definitely felt I've stretched myself over that time, but I've never had that pure sense of imposter syndrome. So I've always had that, am I there yet? And am I ready for this yet? But always knew, like, I know that exec coaching is what I'm meant to be doing. I know that I am working in my zone of genius when I do it. Like, just, I'm in the zone. I'm in flow. I just show up and I'm, so it's a different sense. You know, I do get sometimes the fear of, Oh my God, I'm taking on this big client and I'm coaching that person, but it's not that. Oh my God, I'm going to be found out that I haven't got a clue what I'm doing. Like, I'm, I'm really grounded in my, You know, I've really crafted my expertise. I'm constantly learning and developing and have kind of put like two decades into that. So I think I've got that 10,000 hours, you know, I'm more in the flow.
0: Now you have, I'm just wondering then, you know, when you were were quite young.
1: I've definitely stretched myself. I remember actually an organisation, a big, one of the UK's top supermarkets, probably about, how many years ago, would I say 15 years ago, went out to market to, they were basically bringing in a coaching culture and they were training all people internally around coaching, but they wanted to go out and recruit 10 external exec coaches to be part of their kind of leadership coaching program. And they went through this massive recruitment process to, you had to do a detailed online application that was really detailed about your coaching signature presence, your philosophy of coaching, all human behavior, like really detailed. They then did an interview with you. They then did a, they observed you doing a coaching session. So it was this really quite kind of intense recruitment process to be one, a pool of exec coaches. And I remember thinking, there's no way I'm going to be kind of in the top 10 for this, but I'm going to put myself forward because it'd be a really great learning opportunity. And I'll learn where I need, that's where I want to be. And it'll tell me where I might be kind of missing the mark. So always that confidence that I will get there. I got in, I got in as one of the 10. And I remember going, Oh, I'm actually there. I was I didn't know I was there yet. And so it, it's a different sense. It's a sense that I might not always have ultimate belief, but I'd got this baseline belief that yeah, this is what I'm meant to be doing and I'm in, I'm doing the right work and I'll learn and grow as I go along.
0: And that's one. Well, that's a really good philosophy for any job, isn't it? And for any role, you know, even like Mother Hunt. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, first time we have no idea, but so is it is that belief that you will figure it out.
1: Yeah and and that's why I think you know really having that self awareness about what are my values what are my core kind of strengths and my signature strengths and how do I find the place where I best apply those when we've got that it gives you that grounding of like I can learn it I might not kind of be the best and um you know and that growth mindset is you're never going to be the best you're always kind of learning and developing but I'll be okay along that journey whereas I think in my corporate career when I was in IT I was so misaligned I couldn't ground myself in my in that kind of core belief
0: mm mm-hmm. So, how did the business change then when you became a mother?
1: In so many ways. So, I think when I went on maternity leave, I kind of, my business was at the peak. I felt really comfortable that I can step away knowing that I built my brand and my expertise and my client base. But I had no idea how the experience of maternity leave was going to be. And I think because it was my own business, I had a lot of choice about how I took that maternity leave. And I'd had friends that, thought they wanted to take a full year and then very quickly were like, oh no, after six months, I'm ready to go back. And vice versa, people that kind of thought they only wanted a short amount of time. And I'd seen that with clients. I'd been doing a lot of maternity coaching at that point, even though I, I was yet to become a mum. So I went into my maternity very open-minded. So I was like, I'm going to take up to a year, but I'll assess it along the way and see how I'm feeling. And actually my, that first year of motherhood was brutal for me, really brutal. And I I completely underestimated it.
0: In what ways was it brutal?
1: I was somebody that you was used to being highly independent and could just get stuff done. And I got it done by just working harder and kind of just pushing myself. And that isn't necessarily a good recipe for enjoying motherhood the first year. You know, you need that village around you. And I totally underestimated that. I think not having my own mum, I'd underestimated the impact of that. And there was a whole new level of grief that came up of not having my own mum around. And I, one of my most reviewed blogs actually is a blog I wrote about becoming a mum without a mum. And for people that have had that experience, it resonated deeply because it, it, Can catch so many people out like me and I'd even had a friend who'd lost her mum when she was 14 and she'd said to me really watch out watch out for it and I was I was quite naive I was like no I think I'll be okay like I'd really grieved my mum and like I'd taken a year out to grieve effectively and so I was like no I've processed this I'm in a good place and it, it threw up a whole new level of grief my hyper independence I think Really, I didn't know I needed help. And when I did, I didn't feel able to ask for it. So I felt really under resourced in that. My son was born with a health condition that meant he was in and out of hospital kind of for six months of his life. And that was, that was so brutal because he was born with a hole in his heart and What happened was about six weeks old, he was classed as failing to thrive. And it's a term they use then they're not allowed to use anymore, thank God, because the worst thing you can tell a new mum with their precious newborn babies, your baby's not thriving. So there was the guilt and like, I'm doing something wrong. I should be doing more. And being in and out of hospital, if anybody's had that experience with kind of babies, they're monitoring them constantly. So we were in for days at a time and you literally probably get half an hour sleep here and there. So you're already sleep deprived and that sleep deprivation goes to a whole new level. He was approved for open heart surgery when he was kind of a few months old. So we were preparing ourselves for that and like just the stress and an anticipation of that. Thankfully, he never had to have it and he's still got a hole in his heart, but he's absolutely, he's a 10 year old that's got more energy and more kind of determination than most kids. But that whole process was really tough. And again, because I didn't feel resourced and I hadn't got many, what I underestimated was the need to have females to lean into. And I've got an amazing mother-in-law is brilliant, but she's very practical, but all of my mum's family live away. So I hadn't got like my maternal line to lean into. And actually realising that as a new mum, you need to be mothered yourself. And there's a really famous book called by Clarissa Pinkhart, uh, who talks about um, running with the walls. And she talks about we become maiden mothers, and we need those kind of matriarchal mothers to lean into. And I really, when I read that, I was like, God, yeah, that was me. I... So that first year I was just running on adrenaline and
0: you must have been exhausted,
1: exhausted and missing my work identity because my work identity gave me so much a sense of myself to not have that. And, you know, the classic, you know, you've got this newborn baby, you don't know what you're doing and to not have that resourceful and not feel resourced internally as well to deal with it. I ended up when my son was a year old burning out. So it probably kicked in from probably about six months old. And I, and slowly I was just going downhill physically. And that then impacted me emotionally. So I remember at my son's one year, you know, they come in and do the check. The health visitors came in and they give you that little checklist to check how you're doing kind of mentally and emotionally. And I was really aware that I wasn't doing great mentally and emotionally but I was really conscious about how I communicated that to them. Not because there probably was a degree of kind of shame in there, but it was more, I'm not feeling great, but it's not, it's n- the primary source isn't the mental and emotional I'm physically not feeling great. And that is impacting me psychologically. And I was trying to have that conversation with them and they were great, but I don't think they completely understood it. And I'm, As I said, I'm somebody that's high in my personal power. So I will always take action. So I remember going to my doctor a couple of times and and kind of going, something's not right. I really don't feel right. And they did all blood tests on me and said, no, you're fine. And I was like, I want to be referred back to my, because I was a high risk birth with my son. What we didn't know, it was the hole in the heart, but they picked up signs that something wasn't right. I was under a consultant and I was like, I want referring back to my consultant. There's something not going on here. There's something going on that's not quite right. To the point where I'd ended up with an emergency C section. I was like, have they left something in me that's impacting me physically? Because something I knew something wasn't right in my body. And I, I kept just being told, I'm a new mum. All new mums are tired. And I was like, this isn't tiredness. This is I, tiredness, is I get tiredness and I get like a fuzzy head. This was like every cell in my body, I'd got no energy. And it got to the point I remember lying on the floor to play with my son and hadn't got the energy to stand back up. And I I had to dig in to a well that wasn't there was nothing in it. And I started to, my mind started to go to well, I've obviously got some kind of rare disease that nobody can detect because I know something's not right. And I ended up going to see a functional medicine practitioner. Somebody had recommended to her to me. And she was phenomenal. And she basically did spent an hour and a half taking my whole history, like my childhood illnesses, my mum and dad's kind of health or your whole family, maternal, paternal side, all kinds of things like what I was eating, how many times I was going to the toilet, like proper in-depth analysis. And what came out over a few weeks was ended up with adrenal fatigue. I got tested for it and had literally burnt my adrenal system out. It's now not called adrenal fatigue. It's called HBA axis dysfunction, which basically your hypothermic is basically your hormone system gets dysregulated. But the cause of it was me operating on my stress system too much. So I'd, I'd burnt myself out. And I cried when I got that diagnosis, not because I was upset. I was like, "Ah, oh, I finally got the answers and I could do something about it. So it took me about two years to get myself properly well again.
0: Is it treatable?
1: Yeah, totally, totally. So there's lifestyle stuff, there's supplements. Yeah, so it's totally treatable, but it's changed the way in which I work and now informs a lot of the work that I do with my clients.
0: Yeah. So how that must because that was probably the point where you were thinking about maybe going back to work.
1: Yeah. So I did go back. I did go back. But what I'd done at that point, so I hadn't set up wisdom for working mums at that point. So at this point, I'd still just got Luminate. And that business was really based on doing face to face executive coaching and face-to-face in-person leadership development sessions. So what I'd communicated then to all my clients was I could only do face-to-face if it was in a certain geography where I didn't have to travel too far because my husband also runs his own business. He's got a big team and I needed to be the flex point in the family. So I needed to have work that could flex around kind of nursery drop-offs. And if I got the call from the nursery and So I cut off a massive kind of lifeline to my business because I was doing a lot of the leadership development stuff. It was very well paid, but I was like, I can't make it work. And I'd had an experience where I was flying back. I'd been delivering out in Washington, DC, and I'd had an experience flying home when I don't know if you remember the Icelandic ash cloud. And I was midair when that went off and I got diverted to a whole different country with no plan they literally because they shut down the airways god help the you know the air, airport and airline staff because they were like we want to help but we we can't help you and I remember thinking then there is like this is just not conducive to having a family I can't at that point no I we were Trying for a child, and I just remember thinking at that point, this has got to change. This won't work for us. So I effectively stopped doing the leadership development stuff and was just in the face-to-face exec coaching. And luckily, I won I won some big clients locally to me. So that kind of sustained my business. I was only I started off back. I started back when my son was nine months old. And my health wasn't great at that point, but I needed it mentally. And I just did a day a week for about a month and I did two days. and I upped to three days a week and I kept it three days a week until he went to school, actually, until he was four. So, and that was a massive juggle because... And I remember when he first started, I had I had and to make a decision when he was three. He was in a private nursery. So I'd got the, you know, you could do eight till six. So the three days I was working, I was doing kind of big.
0: Yeah, solid hours.
1: And I could focus and get on with it. And then when he was three, we've got a lovely little local school. We live in a small village in the countryside. And there's this lovely little local school that had got a nursery attached to the school that they could start from three, but they only gave them half days. Okay. And I had to make the decision of, do I start in there knowing that I'll have five half days or do I keep them at the private nursery? We decided to go down the school route and I didn't look at any wraparound. And so for a year, I did half days and it was
0: horrendous. Because, you know, what? I'm, this really resonates with me. My daughter's just started school, but prior to that, she was in preschool. And it's different and it was a little short hours.
1: I mean, I don't know about you. What I found was I'd be dropping him off, running to do something like, right. And I'd attack my work with like the, you know, I was fighting the clock and I'd be in the middle of an email and go, I've got, literally got to go. So I'd be picking him up. He'd want kind of connection time, but I'd be like, Oh no, that email's still not done. And, and I just felt like I did my work suffered and I suffered as a mother, like how present I wasn't connected. I was. And I look back and I think, what was I doing? What, what, like, why
0: didn't I? Why do you think we do that? Cause it, I did that as well. Well,
1: I think what I've definitely learned on my journey is I'd fallen into the martyrdom and a methodology of motherhood that like it's meant to be difficult and I'm meant to kind of sacrifice myself. And that's a sign that I'm, you know, I'm, I'm a good mum. And, and that was part of for whatever reason I was running on that mode. So I didn't feel resourced enough to go, no, that's not working for me. And what are my options? who can I ask for help? How can I do this differently? I just got stuck into almost survival mode of you just got to dig deep and get through this. And it didn't open. I didn't open myself out to kind of the possibility of it being different. And yeah.
0: What was your childhood like?
1: Well, it's really interesting because my mum was a stay at home mum and she, and I think that plays a massive part into this, but to the point that I was referred, my mum was almost like Mary Poppins. So Before she had us as children, my mum and dad actually met abroad and my dad was in the army and my mum was a nanny for a brigadier in the British army. Prior to that, she worked in America as a nanny. So she was, you know, super nanny. She loved kids, loved being kind of 24 seven around them. And when she had her own children, she gave up her work and just seemed to thrive in motherhood. And so that was kind of model of motherhood that I'd had role model to me. So I thought a good mum was a stay at home mum. Yeah. And I kind of knew because I'd been so career orientated, I was like, I can't imagine not working. But that's why that maternity leave, I was like, let's just see. I I don't know. I might not want to go back to work. And I, you know, I, I don't know. But what became apparent was that I love my work and it's really important to me. So I think there was a huge amount of guilt about that, about oh somehow that doesn't make me a good mum was like the message i my mum had never you know she'd never put that upon me but there was that yeah underlying so i think the almost punishing myself with my work because it wasn't that was okay to do because that meant i was a good mum somehow so i think that's why i that fed that unhelpful cycle yeah
0: well in, how interesting i feel like we uh, i didn't even go to nursery at all
1: yeah, no I, don't, no, I didn't. And my mum would take me to a nursery play place, but she would be with me.
0: Yeah. And then I remember, I've kind of sometimes looked I think um, my mum is the type of person, I think she would have homeschooled us. And then it's quite surprising, actually, I actually went to school, really, because she's such an earth mum and loves being with kids. And yeah, it's quite hard then to live up to that. Yeah. and also, When you view that as the ideal.
1: Yeah. And not to have her around to go, Yeah, was it as good as it? I remember it to be because I'm sure she had times when she'd be like oh my god but of course you I, I idolized that so that made it even worse because it was like and she didn't struggle at all and she loved it and therefore if I'm struggling or not loving it that makes me bad and to not be able to kind of checkpoint that I think just kind of fueled it as well
0: when did you get to the point I suppose where you've sort of reconciled with you know who you are as a mom? and
1: I think it's an ongoing journey but I think that the point where it happened was when i we struggled to have a second child so i always in my head i was going to have two children they were going to be two years apart because both me and my husband have got one of the sibling and they're both two years apart so i somehow again that kind of the story that you create i suppose is that was what was going to happen and we struggled to have another child and i had multiple miscarriages and it got to the point where i had to accept or thought I had to accept that I wasn't going to have another child and I was really classed as um with secondary infertility. Yeah. And it was at that point that I'd had this idea brewing of the journey that I'd had into motherhood as a working mum and how really brutal that had been and what I'd learnt on that journey, particularly around the well-being side, around my own journey with burnout. And because that burnout almost sideswiped me, but I just didn't see it coming. Even though when you like talk about my son being in hospital and all of that, you'd think, God, I didn't see it coming. And I got fiercely curious about it. I was like, well, how did it happen? If I can't join the dots, I can't with confidence. say it's not going to happen again. So I really, really dove into firstly, myself, like the, what, I kind of thought I'd done something wrong. So I went down that, the kind of psychobiological of what was going in my body, what was going on in my mind, well, how would I set up my life? And then I got aware of what I call the psychosocial about societal, cultural, you know, the paradigms of motherhood and all of that. And then when I started putting the jigsaw puzzle together, I was like, God, no wonder I, you know, bent out, like, how did I last as long as I did? And that's when I was like, I need to start talking about this. And that's where the idea for Wisdom for Working Mums came about.
0: Yeah,
1: and when i thought i couldn't have another child i thought right well i'll just birth this into the world then and kind of this will be my new baby and i'd got it all ready in the background to launch and then i found out i was pregnant i had this moment of oh my god this is amazing and what do i do with this kind of business do i shelve it and i just thought if i don't put it out into the world now i don't think i'm ever going to do it so i launched it 6 weeks before i had my my daughter and I'd, kind of done blog, podcast and kind of recorded a load to go out while I was on maternity leave. And it really just took off from there. How did you
0: approach, did motherhood second time around feel different? Because you'd done all that research. in your
1: Massively, massively different. Like I talk about it healed me because I think the first time broke me and the second time really healed me. So just things like I approached my pregnancy completely differently. So I'd learned about postnatal depletion. And there's a brilliant book by a guy called Dr. Oscar Saliak who wrote about postnatal depletion. And so I fueled myself during my pregnancy. I think in my first pregnancy, I was like, I'm, you know, I'm a business owner. I've got to earn all the money to fund my maternity leave. So I was, you know, on the train to London, on the tube, you know, quite heavily pregnant, just like I'll work and work up until this point. Whereas I took a different and I paced myself and I fueled myself and I yeah, really took care of myself. I had a massive resource plan for what I called my fourth trimester. So the 12 weeks after giving birth, I had, I had things like I paid for my cleaner to come in twice a week. I hired a postnatal doula to come in and help me with my, my other child. Like I just was like, what's the po- support I need? Just getting that
0: village in that. You yeah. Know, that you missed the first time around.
1: Anticipate I might need more. Whereas normally I'm a bit like, Oh no, I'll be okay. I like, I was just like, no, I'm going to anticipate. I'm going to need more than I need. And if I don't, that's great. I spent, you know, yeah a lot of time getting my psychology right getting my well-being right getting my village right like I approached it totally differently and it made a massive difference like I felt amazing afterwards whereas with you know with my son clearly I didn't so yeah it was a whole different experience.
0: So wisdom for working moms who do you help how do you help them and talk to do that business?
1: So it's basically for women that are kind of mother's that also have a career that they want to continue. So either women that might feel pushed out of the workplace because they're mothers or that they're in the workplace and it's not working for them. So I work with both individuals and organisations and I work with them around both coaching, so helping them think through all of the things that are going to help them to thrive feel connected to their internal resources, to ask for what they need, to give themselves permission for that and to kind of really stand in their power, but also to push back on kind of their village to kind of ask for what they need and contract with their organisation to do things perhaps a little bit differently to support them in their circumstances and to have those difficult conversations so that, you know, they might not always get exactly what they want, but they feel empowered to ask for it and have those conversations. And I support organisations with maternity coaching, but also right through the motherhood pipeline, because we often think about, you know, the maternity leave being the difficult part. But as we know that every stage has its own kind of opportunities and challenges and really supporting women, so I talk about the motherhood pipeline and the leadership pipeline so that they can navigate those two alongside each other. Yeah.
0: As individuals, what do you mean as organisations? I suppose both.
1: Both. So I have private individuals that come to me, but I also, organisations will pay for me to go in and coach individuals, but I also do group workshops through to kind of keynote talks for employee resource groups and working parent groups and those kind of things. So lots of different resources, both in terms of the one-to-one coaching, but also Kind of taking people on their own journey with that, and sometimes we do it in a group setting. I support kind of those working parent groups to facilitate sometimes. So that's the sweet part for me. It's around women, their leadership journey, and they don't have to be, you know, formal leadership position, but that leadership journey about their own development and their well being. Kind of those three things together are where I I tend to work with either individuals or organisations.
0: I know that obviously everyone has different circumstances and people's stories are different but do you see a lot of common threads you know that yeah are coming through when you're talking to people you know what are the you know challenges and
1: I think the the big one that comes through is about kind of female well-being about how you know we are particularly the, the the current generation of we've been raised to say we can do it all and have it all. But then the reality of that, when we find ourselves, you know, we've progressed our careers so far and it's, yeah, we want to now kind of have a family and if we're blessed enough to have a family, then realizing, oh my God, this is difficult. And it can be difficult because the organisations we work in aren't supportive of how our working practices might need to flex to support us being able to do it or whether it is, you know, I was was only reflecting on holiday this summer. I got talking to a woman in the swimming pool. We were both kind of swimming around just watching our kids play in the swimming pool. And we just got chatting and she very quickly, she didn't know the work I did. I didn't kind of share that. She very quickly opened up to say she got a six-year-old boy and she was like, God, this mum stuff's really hard, isn't it? And she started telling me a story that she'd had a career in investment banking. She lived in London and she was from South Africa and her family were from South Africa, lived still over there. And she had to give up her career because she couldn't get from Canary Wharf back to the nursery before it closed. And she was like, I'd got no choice. And the sadness in her eyes because she... You could tell that she felt that she should feel grateful because her husband had got a big career that could afford for her not to work and she should be, you know, there was that kind of...
0: It's that should, isn't it? It's like what we were talking about earlier. It's the should all that time. You should be doing this.
1: Yeah. So I think those, what I would call the ideal worker paradigm where, you know, if we're doing a good job, we can focus on our work without interruption of kind of our outside lives and that ideal mother paradigm. And so many people have asked me about why do you focus on mothers and not parents. And I kind of get that because I think there's a really important message about equalizing parenting and all of that. But I still think there's a long way to go for mothers to unhook ourselves from that ideal mother paradigm that is, you know, if we're a good mum, we're constantly there for our children. We take care of every need. We take them to every club that's going and we are focused on their development and their wellbeing. 100% of the time and if we're not we're not a good mum. And where those two paradigms collide is where we get squeezed because it's the you know it's the the old adage of we're trying to work like we don't have children we're trying to parent like we don't have our work and then there are specific nuances depending on people's family setups about whether they're single parents whether they have a partner but actually they still carry most of the domestic load whether they're the flex point in the family so there's those layers around it but the key part is you know we're trying to work our butts off to do a great job and work our butts off to be the kind of mum that we want to be. And we get kind of lost in that process. So the classic of, you know, not taking any time for ourselves, not having the right boundaries to support us. The individuals I tend to work with are high achievers. So they tend to be what I call over They over-deliver, they overhelp, they over Mit,
0: yeah, I bet they're doing a brilliant big job, and then they're also like PTA and doing. Loads oh of yeah,
1: <laughs> absolutely. And that's where they kind of they lose themselves in the process, and they lose, and then they become depleted. And when they're depleted, they're not able to kind of connect to the resourcefulness that kind of goes you know like we said about why am I struggling to do these half days? Like why am I even attempting that? You know, because we're so in the survival mode of it, of just kind of being on the treadmill to be able to stop and go. This isn't working. What would enable me to live my values and show up in the way that I want to, and what would it take for me to go and find out how I can make that happen?
0: What would you say? So obviously you've got a daughter and you've got clients as well. So what would you say to people that are struggling with that sort of guilt? And I guess it's the guilt from work, it's the guilt from home. You know, can we manage the juggle?
1: I think it's. The most important thing is getting in tune with what's important to you. And for every person, that will be slightly different. So what I would talk about is we talk about guilt. Guilt as an emotion actually has a function, you know, like, so we know not to leave our kids or our dogs in a car on a hot day because, you know, it will harm them. And if we do, we'd feel guilty. So that guilt serves a helpful function. But I think a lot of the guilt we feel in motherhood is dysfunctional guilt. It's just not helpful, you know, it, yeah, it just is just eats us up alive. So I have this really clear thing when I'm working with clients is let's create a non guilt agreement. And it's all the things that I will not feel guilty for because the stuff that I need to feel guilty for, because that keeps
0: kind of leaving them in a hot car.
1: <laughs> yeah. Not feeding them, you know, whatever it might be. But here's the stuff that I just need to let go of. And I literally, it's a contract with myself to go. I won't feel guilty for this. I remember there was an Easter parade at our school, and I never made an Easter bonnet. I'm like, I'm not creative. It's not in my zone of genius. I get really annoyed doing it. I choose not to make an Easter bonnet. And I remember talking to one of the moms at school, and it literally was a revelation to her that she could choose not to. And that's a silly example, but in each of us, we've got that stuff that we just think we have to, and being able to step back and have some psychological flexibility to go, oh no, there's some choice here. Let me choose the stuff that I'm going to feel guilty for. So I've got some clients that say, you know, it's really important for me to do two school pickups a week. And that's my non-negotiable. And if I fail to kind of commit to that, I'm going to feel guilty for that because that's, I'm choosing that. And I've got other clients like, I really don't want to be on the school playground, not bothered about school pickups. But there's other stuff that's really important that I do want to be there for them in a different way. And every individual will be different. So I think having that non-guilt agreement and really consciously and intentionally choosing how you want to show up and try not to listen to the noise and the comparison and find your way, because every individual, it'll be different. I've got a client that I used to work with and she's changed role and she's got a massive job for a very well-known company. She lives up North, her family are based up North. And this role, she's kind of senior on the board is down in London. And she was like, I don't think I can take it. I'm going to be away from home too much. But as she explored it, she was like, actually, I'm going to be in London two or three days a week. And I'm going to be home for two days. And they've given her a flat in London, this organization. And she literally, when she's in London, she is on it with her work. And she gets so much done in those three days. The two days she's back home, she said, actually, I'm here for my family far more than if I was working five days up north in a big role. So, It's looking at the unique circumstances and matching it with actually what is really important. How can I show up? And that will look different for each individual and trying not to let the judgment of what should be get in the way of that.
0: It's been such a pleasure to chat with you. I feel like I've gone through therapy just talking to you. So thank you so, so much for such a fabulous conversation where can people find you connect with you and learn more about you about Lumina and about Wisdom for Working Mums yeah
1: so if you you head over to Wisdom for Working Mums so it's Wisdom F-O-R for Working Mums M-U-M-S .co.uk that's the best place to kind of find me if you get on my email list you'll get details of everything I do in terms of blogs and podcasts I'm over on LinkedIn as LinkedIn forward slash Lumina Nicola Lowe and you'll find out all the information on there as well I also hang out on Instagram as wisdom for working mums so yeah on any of those platforms you'll find me
0: brilliant well thank you so much Nicola it's been such a pleasure to chat with you today it's, it's been great thank you for having me Thank you for listening to another episode of the Work It Like A Mum podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please rate, review and subscribe. And don't forget to share the link with a friend. If you're on LinkedIn, please send me a connection request at Elizabeth Willett and let me know your thoughts on this week's episode. You can also follow my recruitment site, Investing in Women, on LinkedIn, Facebook and Instagram. Until next time, keep on chasing your biggest dreams.